0: Homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Today we're looking at Dhammapada verse number 392, and it's the story of Venerable Sariputta honouring Venerable Assaji. This particular verse was uttered by the Buddha while he was residing at Jetavana Monastery in reference to Venerable Sariputta. What we know about Venerable Sariputta is he was born of Brahmin parents of Uhudisa village and this was why he was named Upatissa, and he had this close friend called Kolita. Both youths were searching for the truth, the truth that would lead them to liberation from transmigrating through samsara. And they had a great desire to enter into a religious order. They went to the teacher Sancheya, but they were not satisfied with his teaching. So they wandered all over looking for a teacher who would show them the path to liberation. But their search was fruitless. After some time, they parted company, but with the understanding that if one of them found the true Dhamma first, they would inform the other. Now about that time, the Buddha had arrived at Rajagaha and was giving his first teaching to the Company of Five. And that Company of Five included Venerable Asaji, Now, what we know about Venerable Asaji was he was born into a Brahmin family and his father was one of the eight Brahmin scholars who were invited by King Suddhodana, the monarch of the Sakyan Kingdom, to Kapalavattu to read the fortune of his son Siddhartha. Asaji's father and six other Brahmins had predicted that Siddhartha would either become a great religious leader or a great military monarch. And as we know, Siddhartha, Prince Siddhartha, renounced the world. So there were three sons of three of the Brahmin scholars who joined Siddhartha in the ascetic life, and Asaji was one of them, and they joined him in self-mortification practices at Uruvella. When Siddhartha abandoned this practice to follow the middle way, they left him in disappointment, believing he had become indulgent. But after his enlightenment, the Buddha visited them at Rajagaha, where they had journeyed after the split. The Buddha preached the Four Noble Truths, what we know as the dhamma sutta and they became the first five bhikkhus of the Sangha. Venerable Asaji was the last to understand the teachings, and the Buddha had to give further explanations to him and Mahanama, while the other three bhikkhus went out on alms round. Venerable Asaji was the last to attain Sotapanna, so the fruit of stream entry, or the first stage of awakening, he became an Arahant together with the others at the preaching of the Buddha's second teaching, which was the Anatalakana Sutta. So, anyway, back to the story. Venerable Asaji was on alms round one day and Upadissa saw this particular Thera and was very impressed by his noble countenance and demeanour. So, Upadissa respectfully approached Venerable Asaji and asked who his teacher was, what doctrine his teacher taught, and also briefly to explain the doctrine to him venerable Asaji then told udissa about the arising of the buddha and about his sojourn at the veluvana monastery in Rajagaha, and then Venerable Asaji quoted a short gatha connected with the four noble truths which was yadamma hetuppa Bhava thesang hetum dadagado aha Tesancha yo nirodo evamvati maha samano All the things in existence arise from a cause. The Tathagata has declared the cause thereof, and also the cessation. This is what is told by the great recluse. When the verse was only halfway through, Upatissa attained the fruit of stream entry, the first stage of awakening, while hearing the teaching. As promised, Upatissa went to his friend Kolita to inform him that he had found the true Dhamma. When the two friends, accompanied by 250 followers, went to the Buddha, who was then at Rajagaha, when he arrived at Veluvana Monastery, they asked permission to enter into the Buddhist order, and both Upatissa and Koliṭa, together with their 250 followers, were admitted as bhikkhus. Upatissa, son of Sari, and Koliṭa, son of Moggali, then came to be known as Sariputta, so Venerable Sariputta, and Moggallana, Venerable Maha Soon after their admission to the order, the Buddha expounded the Dhamma, and the 250 bhikkhus attained arahanship. But Venerable Mahamoggallana and Venerable Sariputta attained arahanship only at the end of seven days and fifteen days respectively. And the reason for the delay in their attainment of arahanship was that they had made a wish for chief discipleship, which required much more striving to achieve perfection. The Venerable Sariputta always remembered that he had been able to meet the Buddha and attain the deathless through Venerable Asaji. So he always paid respects in the direction where his teacher was, and he always went to bed with his head lying in the same direction. Other bhikkhus who were staying with him at Jetavana Monastery misinterpreted his actions and said to the Buddha, Venerable Sir, The Venerable Sariputta still worships the various directions, the east, the south, the west, the north, the nadir and the zenith. As he has done before as a Brahmin youth, it seems as if he has not yet given up his old beliefs. The Buddha sent for Venerable Sariputta, and Venerable Sariputta explained to the Buddha that he was only paying respects to his teacher, the Venerable Asaji, and that he was not worshipping the various directions. The Buddha was satisfied with the explanation given by Venerable Sariputta, and said to the other bhikkhus, bhikkhus, the venerable Sariputta was not worshipping the various directions. He was only paying respects to his teacher and benefactor, through whom he had attained the deathless. It is quite right and proper for him to pay homage, to bow down to such a teacher. Then the Buddha spoke in verse as follows: Yangha dhamma vijaneya, from whom one has known and understood the dhamma, sama sammudha Taught by the perfectly enlightened one. Sakachang tang namaseya, one should honour and venerate them. Agi huttang wa brahmano, like a Brahmin honours and venerates the fire sacrifice. When we look at this story, we know that it's quite surprising in the sense of Venerable Sariputta, who we know is the chief disciple of the Buddha, one of the chief disciples of the Buddha, that he was bowing down his head venerating Venerable Asaji. And although Venerable Asaji was one of the first five to learn the teachings, that's still different from the perfection of being one of the chief disciples of the Buddha. We know that there are certain perfections that need to be realized and fully developed in order to attain to this position of chief disciple of the Buddha. And so what you see from this is that Venerable Sariputta has no conceit. If he had conceit, That would have been what would prevent him from bowing down or honouring Venerable Asaji. In our terms, we would have thought that as the chief disciple of the Buddha, he would have thought himself better than Venerable Asaji. But Venerable Sariputta recognised Venerable Asaji as the teacher that introduced him to the Buddha and the Buddha's teaching and also the one that enabled him to enter the stream and therefore to then ordain into the monastic order. Now the words that we look at in this particular verse are vijānaya translated as having known or understood, even having perceived or recognized. So if you have learnt Dhamma from someone who knows and has understood the Dhamma, that is very important because they're able to show you, they're able to explain what they know and have understood of the Dhamma. And that is what has been taught by the Perfectly Enlightened One. So the Sammasambuddha, the Tathagata, the one that knows the truth and has been perfectly enlightened all on his own. When we look at sakachang and Namasteya, both these words are associated with respect and veneration. Sakachang means having well prepared, honoured, respected. Namasati is the word that relates to this namaseya, means paying honour, venerating, bowing down. Namasana means veneration or worship. So the words that are used are in line with when Brahmins at the time, they would worship or venerate through fire sacrifices. So one should honour and venerate the teacher that has introduced you to the Buddha's teachings and helped you to understand that Dhamma and if they have helped you to enter the stream. And so there's much here that is very important and also marks the sign of gratitude. A sutta that can help us to understand this Dhamma a little more is the Bhagukara Sutta. This is Nikaya, chapter 3, Discourse Number 24. And the Buddha talks about person of great service. And in Pali, this is Pugala Bhagukara. Bahukara means great service, very helpful, or very useful. So the Buddha says in this sutta, Bhikkhus, these three persons are of great service to another person. What three? The person through whom another has gone for refuge to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. This person is of great service to the other person. Again, the person through whom another comes to understand as it really is, this is suffering, and this is the origin of suffering, and this is the cessation of suffering, and this is the way leading to the cessation of suffering. This person is of great service to the other person. Again, the person through whom, with the destruction of the taints, another realizes for himself, with direct knowledge, in this very life, the taintless liberation of mind, liberation by wisdom, and having entered upon it, dwells in it. This person is of great service to the other person. So when you summarize these three kinds of persons, the first is someone that shows you that there is the Buddha who is the perfect teacher, someone that one should go towards and the Dhamma itself. So the Buddha's teaching and the Sangha, those that practice well, the four pairs, the eight kinds of noble beings. So that's the first kind of person. The second kind of person helps you to understand the meaning and the phrasing of the four noble truths. And so in this way, this person probably helps you to lean towards Nibbāna, if not helps you to enter the stream and develop path and fruit. Again, this is also very important. And then the third is someone who actually helps to explain the Buddha's teaching in order for you to destroy the taints, realize with direct knowledge, complete or full liberation, Nibbāna. So, of course, that person is also of great service to another person. Now, the Buddha goes on to say, There is no one of greater service to another person than these three persons. I say too that it is not easy to repay these three persons by paying homage to them. In Pali, this is Abhiwadana. So, bowing down, saluting them, paying homage to them. And then by rising up for them. So, this is Pachutana. Showing reverence, rising from one's seat. And then the third is by reverential salutation, anjali, we know this. So this is extending or stretching forth, gesturing by lifting one's hands as a sign of reverence. Then we have by proper conduct, so kamma samiti kamma. So proper or respectful conduct or behaviour. And then providing them with the requisites, this includes robes, arms food, lodging, and medicines and support for when such a person is sick. So the Buddha is saying that even when you offer all these things, that it is still not easy to repay such a person. And I guess the core of what the Buddha is saying is that the reason why such a person is of great service, very useful, very helpful, is because this person has offered real safety by helping to introduce to Buddha Dhamma Sangha or encouraging towards Buddha Dhamma Sangha, and also because helping to understand the meaning of the Buddha's teaching, helping to understand true Dhamma. And ultimately where this leads to is genuine safety, particularly if that person helps you to enter the stream because they're helping you to cut off immeasurable lifetimes of Dukkha. So this is something that is tantamount to getting out of this whole mass of suffering. And when you think about the third kind of person, which is the person who can show you how to destroy the taints, how to understand that part of the Buddha's teaching, and to directly realize that for oneself, then this is very, very precious, very, very valuable. So what is preventing us from recognizing this is usually conceit. Because conceit, conceit and arrogance is around, I'm the same as somebody else, or I'm better than somebody else. So we're blocked in being able to truly respect and honour the person that helps us in these three different ways. One of the things that comes to mind is roles. So there are different people that help us in these three ways. There can be different people being the one that brings us towards the Dhamma. Or teaches us to take refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, and different from the person that helps us to understand different aspects of the Buddha's teaching. So, helps us to understand the Four Noble Truths, or to understand the Three Characteristics, or whatever the case may be. And again, it might be a different person that helps us to remove the taints, and to realise the path to liberation. Usually roles, they are like husband, wife, your children your parents, a long-standing friend, a spiritual friend. It could be your boss. It could be your subordinate. It could be a colleague. And if we share past history, then often we block out if they have done something of great service in this way. It's good to contemplate and investigate that because conceit is something that we still hold on to. It's one of the fetters We don't unfetter ourselves until we realize arahanship and therefore what we miss out on is how meritorious it is to actually honor the person or the people that have helped us in these particular ways. One of the examples from the suttas is Visaka who was the husband of Bhikkhuni Domadina. In his case if you can imagine at the time of the Buddha It would have been that if you had a husband, you would pay respects to your husband. He would have been the head of the house and so on. But when Bhikkhuni Damadina ordained and then became a very learned Bhikkhuni, it was Visaka who came and paid respects to her, bowed down and sat to one side and then asked all these questions. And she answered all those questions and then he bowed down and left. So... Those are some of those things that are overcome when you recognize that the person is of great service. And of course there are other situations between lay people and monastics where a lay person was able to skillfully penetrate and able to explain the teachings to monks and nuns. The example that comes to mind is Chitta the Householder. There are a number of suttas where he explained certain things to the monks and he was praised by the Buddha. So the way to contemplate as well is to consider what if these people or this person was not there to offer this assistance, wasn't there to offer this great service? Then where would that leave us? That would leave us bereft of the Buddha's teaching bereft of taking refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, in the Triple Gem. And what kind of life would we lead? Well, we would lead a life which is much like anybody else, a life filled with greed, hatred and delusion. But what would be predominant is anger and fear. And we would not have the opportunity to penetrate the Dhamma and to enter the stream. We would not have the opportunity to remove immeasurable lifetimes of Dukkha and ultimately realize Nibbāna. It's a wonderful meditation, even in one's mind, to honor the people that have shown us it is important to take refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. And in that way, when you do so, you start to realize certain teachings around generosity and virtue, be the beginning of the path. And then when you realize there are certain people that have helped you to understand the Four Noble Truths, when you realize how important it is, in your mind you honor that person at the very least. It's something that really lifts the mind and you feel so much gratitude. That is a very good way as an entry point to gratitude. To reflect on Dukkha and to realize that there have been people that have helped us to alleviate the suffering in the first instance, but the second is to penetrate some of the Buddha's teaching. And so it's good to rest the mind contemplating this. And of course this aligns with why Venerable Sariputta honoured Venerable Assaji He truly understood this. In the Dakina Vibhanga Sutta, this is Majjhmanikaya Discourse number 142, the Buddha goes on about this as well and expands on it. So the Buddha talks about when one person owing to another has gone for refuge to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. So this is similar to the previous Sutta. Then the Buddha says, when one person owing to another has come to abstain from killing living beings, from taking what is not given, from misconduct in sensual pleasures, from false speech, and from taking wine, liquor and intoxicants, which are the basis for negligence. So in this case, the person keeps the five precepts. The third is when one person owing to another has come to possess perfect confidence in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, and to possess virtues loved by the Noble Ones. This particular one is around the factors for stream entry. And then the last one is when one person owing to another has become free from doubt about suffering, about the origin of suffering, about the cessation of suffering, and about the way leading to the cessation of suffering. In this particular case when you're free of doubt that means you have conviction conviction towards the buddha towards the dhamma towards the sangha and again we know that doubt is one of the fetters so when you remove that that enables you to also enter the stream also we know when someone understands about suffering from the Upaniṣa sutta this is the nutriment or the condition for developing conviction So when someone enables you to remove doubt about suffering, they are indeed helping you to develop conviction, this sadda, this confidence or faith in Buddha, and also the Dhamma and the Sangha. If you remember also, the Buddha says that if one understands one aspect of the Four Noble Truths, any of them, then you will understand all the rest. So that is also possible. And then the Buddha says, again, the same thing, that it is not easy to repay someone by paying homage to them, rising up, reverential salutation, proper conduct, and providing requisites to them. When you really reflect on that last statement, it really hits home that it is something that is so priceless. It's valuable, something that cannot be paid off that easily. And what is really true about When you have got the eye of the Dhamma, when you've really seen the truth about this birth, aging, sickness and death, you really realize that if one is stuck in samsara, then someone that shows you even a little bit to help you to develop the way out of the whole mass of suffering, these countless rebirths and countless deaths, essentially you realize that it's not easy to repay that person. And rightly so. If you also know the Mahamangala Sutta, so this is in the Sutta Nipata, you remember the highest blessings or the good fortune that comes to you by certain qualities. So the devas had asked the Buddha about what are the highest blessings. So one of them that the Buddha talks about is about honoring those who are worthy. So the Gata actually says, "Asavana Chabalana Pandita nancha sevana." You know that not to associate with fools, but to associate with the wise. So we already know it's very good to associate with those who are at least the same, if not better than you, when it comes to practicing and developing the Dhamma. And also those that have renunciated or have very good practice and sila and who are knowledgeable in Dhamma or live by the Dhamma. the last part of that is to honor those who are worthy of honor. And this is our highest blessing. So often we don't understand that there are higher blessings than what we do in convention. So when you look at the worldly yardstick, what comes is usually honoring people who have power, who have wealth, who have prestige or reputation based on skills and knowledge uh, in worldly things. We honour them and give them the best seat and offer them the best food and respect them, you know, in convention. But the Buddha talks about honouring those who are worthy. And so when you read the suttas you hear about who are those who are worthy? And it's often people that have entered the stream. So when you think about Sangha, the Buddha, one of Buddha's definitions for Sangha is the four pairs and the eight kinds of noble beings. They're worthy of honor, worthy of gifts and hospitality and respect and worthy of Anjali. So, so they are the Sotapanna, path and fruit, the Sakadagami, the once-returner, path and fruit, the Anagami, non-returner, path and fruit, and of course the Arahant, path and fruit. You clearly know these are the kinds of people that are worthy of offerings, worthy of honour, worthy of gifts, worthy of hospitality, worthy of anjali. And of course we know those that have entered into the monastic order, leading a life of renunciation, then of course those that fulfil those aspects are also worthy of offerings, gifts and things of that nature as well. When you look at this, it's important to clarify one's understanding in the Buddha's dispensation about those who are worthy of honour. There is also an interesting teaching in the Samachitta vagga and this is in Anguttara Chapter 2, Discourse Number 38, and it's in relation to Venerable Mahakachana. So at this time, Venerable Mahakachana was staying near Madura in Gunda's Grove, and a Brahmin called Kandarayana went up to Venerable Mahakachana exchanged greetings with him, sat down to one side and asked him, I have heard, Master Kachana, that the ascetic Kachana doesn't bow to old Brahmins, the elderly and senior, who are advanced in years and have reached the final stage of life, nor does he rise in their presence or offer them a seat. And this is indeed the case for the ascetic Kachana, does not bow to old Brahmins, elderly and senior, who are advanced in years and have reached the final stage of life, nor does he rise in their presence or offer them a seat. This is not appropriate, Master Kachana. And then Venerable Markachana says There is the stage of an elder and the stage of youth, as explained by the Blessed One, who knows and sees the Perfected One, the fully awakened Buddha. If an elder, though eighty, ninety, or a hundred years old, still dwells in the midst of sensual pleasures, enjoying them, consumed by thoughts of them, burning with fever for them, and eagerly seeking more, they are reckoned as a child, not a senior. If a youth, young, blackhead, blessed with youth, in the prime of life, does not dwell in the midst of sensual pleasures, enjoying them, consumed by thoughts of them, burning with fever for them, and eagerly seeking more, they are reckoned as astute, a senior. So then, after Venerable Markachana explained this, this Brahman actually bowed down and understood what Venerable was saying. And he said, The masters are elders at the stage of the elder. We are youth at the stage of youth. Excellent, Master Kachana. From this day forth may Master Kachana remember me as a lay follower who has gone for refuge for life. So what is interesting here is the different definition, and this clarifies or highlights the distinction that the Buddha makes and the Noble Arahants make between a true elder and someone who really should be considered as a child or not a senior. So the measure is really around sensual pleasures, sensual desire. The opposite is around renunciation. So the true elder is one who truly renunciates, Venerable Marguchana is very elaborate in how he's explained this. Clearly, he will not bow, offer respect or honor someone who is imbued with sensual pleasures. So this is a very interesting one because when we come across people in the world, the measure, as we've just said before, is about power, prestige, wealth, and gaining wealth, even having the desire for wealth and gain is something that is promoted in the world. So it's a very worldly tendency, this whole gain, honor, and popularity. And the Buddha's teaching, because as we all know, that leads to more and more samsara, rebirth, and transmigration, the whole mass of suffering. So someone who is a true elder recognizes that, sees the danger in sensual pleasures, and recognizes that Instead of going in that direction, I'm going in the opposite direction. I'm going against the stream, as the Buddha would say, which is towards renunciation and understanding true Dhamma. And so that path is not greed, hatred, and delusion. That path is the path of non greed, non hatred, and non delusion. But very much in this particular teaching, what Venerable Mahakachana is emphasizing is the non greed path. To understand Venerable Mahakachana's explanation, we can look at our study of Aditta Pariyaya Sutta, this is Sanyutta Chapter 35, Discourse number 28, and also part of the Pethagopadesa. So as you know, we've talked about the three kinds of objects, agreeable object, disagreeable object, and neither agreeable nor disagreeable object. We've talked about the sense contact, being pleasant, painful, or neither painful nor pleasant. And the associated feeling, so pleasant feeling, painful feeling, and neither painful nor pleasant feeling. And the result is all Dukkha. So, painfulness in change, Vipranama Dukkha, or painfulness in pain, Dukkha Dukkata, or painfulness in construction, sankhara Dukkha. Now, what Venerable Mahagachana was highlighting was the greed path. So, greed is moulded by means of the agreeable object, so any of the essential objects that we find pleasure in. So when he looks at the person who is imbued with sensual pleasures and imbued with those feelings, imbued with the sensual desire thinking, sensual thoughts, and then burning with lust-born fever, then this is really this greed path. So you can see the inside pathway. Agreeable object is the condition for sense contact being seen as pleasant. Therefore, the pleasant feeling arises. We approach that with joy, Then lust arises, then all the sensual thoughts arise. When we are caught by those thoughts, then lust-born fever arises. We're burning with lust. And then the constructed characteristic arising arises. And then we experience, ultimately, painfulness and change. So the person who truly sees that is a person who's a true elder. Because when you see that, you know that whatever object you take, and in this case, the agreeable object, anything that you think you'll take pleasure from, it will result in dukkha, once it finishes, once it changes. So instead of going towards agreeable objects, one understands not to take delight, not to express, and not to remain holding. And therefore that's the sign of renunciation. So the measure of seniority associated with this is really about renunciation. So freedom from sensual desire and that which is associated with sensual desire The signs of this really are being easily satisfied and content with what is being given. These are really signs of metta, loving kindness. Peaceful mind results from that. Free from wanting, free from defilement, free from seeking out in the world. And really what this points to is inward happiness, inward joy, and not needing to go out into the world to find that, to fix it. So what a true elder really understands is that no matter what object you seek, you get whatever feeling that arises, but inevitably it all results in dukkha. We never permanently get what we want in samsara in this conditioned existence. So this is very much in contrast to the worldly yastic, which is measured on age and seniority, on knowledge and skill, on wealth, on reputation, on position, on popularity, on fame. This is very much in contrast to that, because the true elder understands none of those things offer long-lasting happiness, and all of them can be taken away from you. The other complement to this teaching is the Dutiya Uruvela Sutta. This is on chapter four, discourse number twenty-two. The Buddha says, These four qualities make one an elder. And the first is, A bhikkhu is virtuous. He dwells restrained by a possessed of good conduct and resort, seeing danger in minute faults, having undertaken the training rules he trains in them. So this is also a sacred quality, also applicable to lay people, where one is accomplished in virtue. So sila sampano. And then the second is, He has learned much, remembers what he has learned, and accumulates what he has learned. Those teachings that are good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end, with the right meaning and phrasing, which proclaim the perfectly complete and pure spiritual life, such teachings as these he has learned much of, retained in mind, recited verbally, investigated with the mind, and penetrated well by view. So again, we recognize this as a Seka quality as well, one of the trainee qualities, which is having heard much or learned much, Vahusuta in Pali. And then the third is, he is one who gains at will, without trouble or difficulty, the four jhanas that constitute the higher mind and are pleasant dwellings in this very life. This is very much, again, Seka quality, to be able to gain the four jhanas without any trouble or difficulty at will. And you find this also in the Seika Patipada Sutta. So, this is another quality of the elder. And then the fourth is with the destruction of the taints, he has realized for himself with direct knowledge in this very life the taintless liberation of mind, liberation by wisdom, and having entered upon it, he dwells in it. This is very much the definition of an Arahant. And of course, the Arahant would be considered a true elder. And the final teaching we can look at to emphasize the merit that cannot be measured by honoring those who are worthy of honoring or venerating those who are worthy of veneration is Dhammapada verses 195 and 196. In this teaching the Buddha was traveling from Savati to Bharanasi and he encountered a Brahmin who was worshiping a spirit shrine and when the Brahmin was sent for by the Buddha The Brahman didn't pay respects to the Buddha, but instead paid respects to the shrine. And so the Buddha said to him, Brahman, by paying respect to the shrine, you are doing a meritorious deed. And so the Brahman was very happy. With that happy frame of mind, the Buddha then used his supernormal power and brought forth this golden stupa of Kasva Buddha and allowed it to remain visible in the sky. And then the Buddha explained to the Brahman and the other bhikkhus that there were Four classes of persons worthy of a stupa. The first are the Buddhas or the Tathagatas, who are perfectly enlightened all on their own. Then the Pacheka Buddhas. Then the Arya disciples or noble disciples. And then the universal monarchs. And then the Buddha expressed, it is important to pay homage to those that are worthy of veneration, worthy of honour. And so he uttered this verse, Venerating those worthy of veneration, Buddhas or their disciples, who have transcended proliferation and overcome grief and sorrow, one who venerates such, those who are free and fear nothing, the merit none can calculate by any measure. The important point here is really to understand and to take on board that honoring those who are worthy of honor, venerating those who are worthy of veneration, is something that is very meritorious and it can be very supportive of the path, particularly when it comes to humility, peaceful minds, gratitude, and removing conceit and arrogance. We can end our session here. Let's share the merit with all sentient beings. May all beings be happy and well. May all beings be free from suffering. Blessings of the Triple Gem. Wishing you all well.